The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of the station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show was pre-recorded earlier this week. The Everyday Wealth Radio Show and Podcast are produced and created by Element Financial Engines and hosted by Gene Chatsky and Soledad O'Brien. Ms. Chatsky and Ms. O'Brien are not employees or clients of the firm. They receive fixed cash compensation for acting as hosts in related activities and therefore have an incentive to endorse Element Financial Engines and its planners. For additional information, please see everydaywealth.com. The 2022 Top 100 Independent Advisory Firm Ranking issued by Barron's is qualitative and quantitative, including assets managed, revenue generated, regulatory records, staffing levels, and diversity, technology spending, and succession planning. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Compensation is paid for use in distribution of rating. Awarded September 2022 based on data within a 12-month period. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money, this is Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth with award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien, personal finance expert Gene Chatsky, and Edelman Financial Engine's wealth planner Isabel Barrow. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here's Gene Chatsky, Soledad O'Brien, and Isabel Barrow. So everybody's seeing these headlines, and they're very, very stressful right now. September, consumer prices came in higher than expected. Um, headline about inflation growing uh, from the previous month. Uh, core inflation, so that's not food and energy. We talked about that in an earlier show. Uh, now at a 40-year high, ongoing aggressive rate hikes. And according to a recent survey uh, from the Wall Street Journal, uh, that's a survey of economists, there's a 63% probability of the U.S. being in a recession in the coming 12 months. So how big a recession or maybe how mild a recession? And that's where the bets are being made. None of this, of course, is news. We have been talking about these very things for a long time now. And as we head to the end of 2022, it just feels like this big massive bummer. But of course, 2023 is around the corner. And I think everybody is tired of hearing to stay the course because I don't know, the course could be changing a lot and it's kind of freaking me out. Anyway, that's where I am. Hi, everybody. Uh, This is Soledad O'Brien. I'm Isabel Barrow. And I'm Jean Chatsky. You are listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth. And I agree with you, Soledad. I think this just stay the course advice is getting kind of tedious. If you look at what people are expecting from interest rates right now, uh, economists are expecting the peak Fed funds rate to hit very close to 5%, 4.9% by March of 2023. And the report from the journal, it did very little to change the current outlook uh, for this ridiculously high volatility that we have been experiencing in the markets because with another one and a half to two percent worth of rate hikes priced in across the next four times that the Federal Reserve Open Market Committee sits down and puts its heads together and makes a decision, the markets are going to continue to ricochet. And that's that's not even counting the headlines that we're getting pretty much every day. There's a lot here, Isabel. So how are you thinking about this? Well, and as we've talked about for most of this year already, right, high inflation has been pushing the Fed into the most aggressive rate hikes they've had in over the last 40 years. And of course, it's having a major impact across all asset classes, right? There's been nowhere to hide. In just about eight months or so, we've seen a 3% increase in that upper target of the Fed funds rate. And that is highly unusual from a historical perspective. So, 
Coming into the year, futures markets were pricing in only three quarter percent hikes and an effective Fed funds rate of 0.82% by December of 2022. But now the market's projecting or, or priced in another one and a quarter percent of additional hikes for the rest of 2022 on top of what we've already had. And so if that comes to fruition, we're ultimately going to see about 170% hikes packed in to this year's nine Fed meetings, the, the FOMC meetings. Isabel, you make a great point on how unusual and aggressive the Fed's action has been. Earlier this year, the market was expecting three 25 basis point increases. Instead, we got 75 basis point increases, right? A huge difference. And you're right, this hasn't happened in recent history. The market, the Fed just normally doesn't move this quickly. And it's that unprecedented move that is causing all of these shocks to the market. Isabel, we're in this environment where we're experiencing so many headwinds swirling together. Inflation, bear markets, aggressive interest rates. And what I've been most surprised by is that some of our tried and true strategies are being tested and even coming a bit short. Take diversification, the typical 60-40 portfolio, the portfolio that pension funds have relied on for so many years. Usually they do this because stocks and bonds can be counted on to move in opposite directions. And when one's not doing well, the other is, and it tends to hold you up. Well, that is not happening, right? And I think we have to wonder, is diversification broken? It's a great question. And I know that, you know, in the news, you will see a headline that says, you know, 60-40 portfolio is dead or, you know, or, or diversification doesn't work anymore. And the reality is that not everything works every single time, all the time. I like to use car analogies when it comes to investing <laughs> because I think it's an easy one for us all to like kind of wrap our head around. So I got into my car yesterday. I was driving into work and my tire pressure is low. So like that lights up, the tire pressure lights up. Okay, then about 30 seconds later, my oil light comes on and it says, you're low on oil, you need to put in oil. And about one minute after that, my check engine light comes on and I'm like, how can this all be, ha like all, really all of this is happening at the you same need a time? You Well, <laughs> it is 10 years old, but no, it only has 60,000 miles. It's great. I'm keeping the car. But, you know, how often do you get in your car and like everything is broken at the same time? It's, it's kind of the same with the markets right now. So almost all asset classes this year have performed badly. But that doesn't mean that that will continue for the indefinite future. When I worked at Money Magazine and, and when I worked at Smart Money Magazine, we would always have these stories on the cover about the five best mutual funds this year, the five best new mutual funds this year, the five best growth funds this year. And the year after those five funds were the best, they were the worst. Really? Like inevitably. Ordinarily, we see correlations in markets like stocks and bonds as inversely correlated, meaning they do the opposite things at the same time. Stocks are up, bonds are down, bonds are up, stocks are down. But what we're seeing right now is a very unusual time where correlations are the same. Everything is down at the same time. Now, why that's happening right now, it's because of the Fed increasing rates aggressively and the anticipation of the market potentially having a, a recession. 
So when that all happens at the same time, it is causing those correlations to be higher than normal. So it is a very unusual thing. And the question is, what happens next? You know, can all 15 or so asset classes that we invest, can, can everything stay down for the long term? I mean, ultimately, investors are looking to put their money somewhere. So they want to know where is, where is that going to be? What is the next place that, that the, you know, my money is going to start earning me something? And the, while we don't know the answer to that, could it be in bonds? It may be because think about it this way. When you invest in bonds, you invest for not only the price, but also the yield, right? If it's bond is paying 5%, right? That's an income that you're generating off of it. So even if the bond price is down, you're getting your yield return which in turn is impacting your total return for that bond. So as we move into a higher interest rate environment, even if bond prices are down, we'll look at it this way, yields are going to be higher. So you'll be getting paid in some way for owning those bonds and for taking that downside risk. But there is no guarantee that we'll see bonds do better in the short term. As we were talking about earlier, everyone got it pretty much wrong on how aggressive the Fed was going to be. I think the risk is, is one, making an assumption that we can predict what the Fed is going to do or the time frames in which it's going to happen. We're looking at that longer term objective. And if you don't have an understanding of what is my longer term objective versus what is my shorter term objective, should I be getting in? Should I be getting out? That's a time to talk to your advisor. So if you don't have an advisor, you want to talk to someone, please reach out to us. You can reach us at 833-PLAN-EFE or you can visit planefe.com. So at the top of the show, Soledad talked about the latest survey of economists that we got from the Wall Street Journal and the fact that it's forecasting a 63% probability of recession for the United States over the next 12 months. And I, I think that is the last thing that anyone wants to hear right now. What they are essentially saying is that there is this belief that GDP will contract for the first two quarters of 2023. Add to this that inflation is crazy high, the Fed is making aggressive interest rate hikes, and the market is keeping a lot of people up at night. And we've been talking about what you should do when proven investing strategies are letting you down. Strategies like diversification, when in past years, you could count on the correlations between stocks and bonds to help provide cushion during down markets. This year feels a bit like a free-for-all and correlations are out the window. We've been discussing how hard it is to stay the course when the sea is so dark and stormy. So let's, let's talk about this by the numbers. Let's say you have two clients and, and one of them calls you and says, Isabel, I'm just done. Get me out. <laughs> that I would am, be me. Hi, I am, <laughs> hi Isabel. I am, <laughs> oh no. Get me out. And, and you, you fight back because that's what you're going to do. But eventually you say, okay, all right, I'm going to get you out. And then the other client calls and says, Isabel, I'm, I'm really nervous, but I'm going to stick with this. What's the difference in returns over time when you've got that person who got out but has to get back in versus the person who just plugs their nose and closes their eyes and hopes for the best? It is really hard to do to keep that focus on stay the course, stay the course, stay the course when there's lots and lots of noise. And sometimes just emotionally, I think it makes us feel better to do something. And, 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 and hopefully that something is just call your advisor and have them kind of talk you off the ledge, right? Um, but 
let's just take, for example, this, this particular client or two clients um, that we're talking to had a 60-40 portfolio. So one has gotten out and is now trying to figure out, you know, how to get back in or do I get back in over time? Um, but they're thinking, you know, okay, I'm, I'm going to get back in when I see it start to go up. How do you know it's actually the beginning of the end, right? How is this, is this actually a market recovery or is it a, this is kind of a weird term, but is it a dead cat bounce? Is it a bear market Ooh. rally? I mean, is it a sucker's <laughs> rally? Right, exactly. I mean, this, we had one in May, you know, in this, of this past year where, you know, a lot of people said, oh, the worst is over. And then, you know, we had another bad inflation number and the market's back down. So, so the, the challenge is no, in knowing when the upside is starting. And what studies have shown, if we go back to from 2007 to now, so we're including in like the Great Recession, we're including in that 2008 financial crisis. So we, we're now in like two bear market eras that we're including in these, all right? If you stayed fully invested through all that period of time from 2007 through now, your average annual return of a 60-40 portfolio was about six and a half percent. If you missed only the 10 best days from 2007 to now, your average return went down to three and a half percent annually. So from six and a half, just by staying in and bearing through all the bad stuff, three and a half percent because you missed 10 days. Now, what if you missed 20 of the best days? Your return is now 1.7 percent average annual return. And, and just one other thing to think about in relation to those numbers, a lot of times the best days happen right after the worst days. So in a bear market, that's when we actually see a lot of those really positive returns. And so if you're out during the bear market, you're missing out on those good days too. What you said about wanting to do something. I mean, that's a, that's a big behavioral finance finding that human beings have this bias toward action. We, we just want to jump, right? We just want to do something. Well, at least you feel like you're not just doing nothing while you're getting clobbered. I mean, doing something feels more positive than doing nothing at all. So what if you feel like you do have to do something? Is there a nudge approach to this? Is there a way to allow your clients who are really not sleeping to do a little something that will make them feel better, but not completely blow up the portfolio? There are a lot of different ways that you can go about making a slight tweak or an adjustment for your emotional well-being, um, but also for potentially your financial well-being. You know, about 75 or so percent of the time, a mixture of stocks and bonds or, or higher, depending on what, what, like how long of a time frame you're looking at, about 75% of the time, a mixture of stocks and bonds does better than cash. But there is that percentage of time, and it's unusual, but it happens sometimes where cash actually does better than stocks and bonds. And you have to remember that cash is an asset class. Cash counts as part of a well-built portfolio. So it may be that you need to keep a slightly higher weighting in cash going into next year to offset some extra income. So if you're, if you are keeping 2% in cash, maybe you should be keeping four. Maybe you should be keeping five if you have RMDs. You know, what about other things where, where you can help to keep more of your money, right? I 
heard me say many times, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. Maybe it's taxes. Maybe it's addressing distributions and taxes and maintaining um, a tax-efficient strategy through tax loss harvesting, et cetera, where, where you're going to do something to impact your bottom line, but it may not be like pulling the trigger on, you know, that that big sweeping change of allocating a good deal to cash or going into cash temporarily and thinking that you're going to get back in. Is staying the course a mistake when you look around at what we're in right this moment? Staying the course is the right decision for most people who are long-term investors. And again, I say most because I'll caveat that with if you're a short-term investor, you really need to understand that being invested in stocks and bonds carries risk no matter what. But what history has shown us that a diversified portfolio provides long-term expected growth. And of course, past performance is not a guarantee of future results. So let's just kind of get into why. Stocks typically offer higher expected returns than cash or, for example, short-term treasuries or a CD. And that's because they come with risk, as do bonds. But with stocks, that is a risk that's called market risk. And it's an unavoidable risk that we get by investing in securities like stocks and bonds and other types of funds that are tied to the overall health and the well-being of, of the economy. So you are intrinsically taking that risk of loss, you know you're taking it, in order to obtain that higher potential long-term return. And so what we're seeing right now is that because those correlations between stocks and bonds are so high, so because everything is down, we are neglecting to remember that that risk we're taking, that downside risk that we have already taken by being invested, that's just what's happening right now. That doesn't mean it will continue forever, at least from a historical perspective, we have always had a recovery. So if the question is, you know, let's get out, is everything broken? Well, it is broken right now, but it's not going to stay broken or it shouldn't stay broken. Again, if these correlations come back to normal and it is the risk that we take by being invested that we know we have downside and it stinks when we experience it. Nobody wants it. (laughs) I will be very happy when it's over. But it's natural, it's normal, and it's just unfortunately we're experiencing all at the same time right now. I guess you don't get the upside if you're not willing to put up with the downside sometimes. Wouldn't it be great if you could? It would be great, but I think we have to remember we've had so many years of upside, right? We've had such a long upside run. Yeah, we had that blip from the pandemic, but that was really, really short-lived this has been a long time coming and and not expecting it to come at some point is kind of crazy. Right. I mean, it's been, yeah, what, a decade. So it almost feels worse just because like, you know, we're expecting things to continue along hunky-dory the way that they had been. And it just doesn't work like that over the long term. It just is going to be a while until we see things normalize, at least to get paid for the risk that we're taking. And so, you know, I, I encourage people to talk to their planner. If you don't have a planner, that's a good time to talk to one um, is when you're feeling like emotions are taking hold and like, I don't know, should I do this or should I not? Um, talk to a planner. Give us a call. We're at 833-PLAN-EFE or you can visit us at planefe.com. You know, now is a, is a great time to reach out. It's unprecedented. It can be scary, but that also means there are opportunities. We are going to take a short break and come back to talk about yet another very emotional topic. Next week, we head to the polls for the midterm elections. We've been talking about these elections, it seems, well, since the last time we had an election. And 
I have absolutely no doubt that every single one of you listening has a very strong opinion about what you'd like to see happen. But have you thought about what the election might do to your finances? When we get back, we're going to walk through how the election could impact your portfolio. I'm Jean Chatsky here with Soledad O'Brien and Isabel Barrow. You're listening to Everyday Wealth from Edelman Financial Engines, and we'll be right back. With talk of a recession coming, it's time to ask yourself, is your financial plan ready to handle it? Talk to an Edelman Financial Engines wealth planner and learn how to help prepare for whatever lies ahead. Call 833-PLAN-EFE or visit planefe.com to get connected. That's 833-PLAN-EFE or planefe.com. You've put together a plan for your tomorrow. Hopefully it's built for the long term and built to weather different storms. And we certainly are in a bunch of them right now all of which we've spent the first half of this show discussing. And it's it's often hard to, to stay on course when we're all inundated with the 24-hour bad news cycle. The constant noise can lead to quick emotional responses, which can be bad for your own personal economy. Acting impulsively, emotionally, or based on your biases, both conscious and unconscious, can have a devastating impact on your portfolio and possibly jeopardize your ability to reach your financial goals. And speaking of biases, is there anything that brings them to surface more than an election? And we're on the cusp of the 2022 midterm elections. And adding to the anxiety of these midterms is the fact that they're taking place in a highly complex and challenging economic environment. And as a result, many of us are left wondering what adjustments we should make to our portfolios before the election, after the election, or or based on the outcome of the election. So, Isabel, it does seem like every single commercial today is a political ad for one side or the other. Um, last night, Trevor Noah was saying on his show that we're all craving the days of, like, someone announcing the Toyota phone. Like, <laughs> right, I know. Nice to have a regular ad. Like, mm. I miss those ads. I miss those epic, right? <laughs> I miss those ads as Ozempic. opposed to what we have now, right now. And part of the reason I think I find them all incredibly annoying is because they're very fear-based, right? The whole point is to freak people out and drive them to the polls, whoever you're talking to. That's the goal. And of course, being bombarded by fear is not uh, a lot of fun. So I'm curious about how you think about people who are thinking about adjustments when they're coming in and looking at what could maybe happen in the midterm elections. We're talking about emotional decisions and especially those that are based on the unknowns, the fear of the unknown, fear of the future. You know, When it comes to financial planning or when it comes to financial decisions about how this impacts your portfolio, that can be really financially risky. And I think especially with politics in this day and age, and I grew up on Capitol Hill and I'll date myself. I, this was, you know, 40 plus years ago, but it was, it just felt like a different environment. You know, you had Republican congressmen on one side of the street and Democratic congressmen on the other side of the street and they're best friends and having lunch together every single day. And it's just kind of hard to imagine the environment now that you would see that. But, you know, we're just in a kind of a different day now. There's just more polarization. Um, And for that reason, emotions can be one of the things that, that hinders us as it relates to our investments or as investors. And it's certainly one of the ways that working with an advisor can help you to separate that emotional feeling of, I want to make a decision, I want to do something. Again, we talked about how emotion has impacted us in our market decisions, but now is that emotional decision impacting us 
because of our political beliefs, meaning I'm going to get in or I'm going to get out depending on what happens at the end of, you know, the, the 2022 midterm elections. And talking to an advisor might help you to take some of the emotions out of it as it relates at least to your investing piece, right? As it relates at least to your market investments in your portfolio. So before you think about making any of those kind of knee-jerk reactions with your money, talk to a planner, talk to someone. You can talk to us. We're at 833-PLAN-EFE or at planefe.com. Again, that's 833-PLAN-EFE or planefe.com. You all know I'm pretty passionate about financial education. A few weeks ago, Edelman Financial Engines ran a virtual event walking through elections and your finances. And Isabel, you guys had done a neat study and looked at how the markets, the S&P 500 specifically, performed under Democrats and Republicans under different administrations, different political parties over the last 70 years. Can you walk us through some of that research? Yeah. And, and so this is, this is super interesting because I, I think that this is not something that you would assume. Right? I think we all come in with our biases and we say, oh, well, if this, then this, obviously. But um, when you actually go back and you look at the numbers and you look at performance of the markets during different types of political scenarios, it's interesting. So let's kind of go through some of this and see whether or not it aligns with what you think I'm going to say and what I'm actually going to say based on historical evidence. Are we playing a game? Sounds <laughs> this like is a game. Does. Okay, it this is a yes or no. What do you game. think? Okay, I'm going to leave it open-ended and you can guess what the answer is going to be and we'll see who gets closest. Okay. So, and this study, by the way, Jean, you said 70 years. Yes, it goes from 1948 through 2021 and we looked at how the S&P performed under different administrations and political parties during that period of time. So first of all, we analyzed... Um, data according to these eight possible combinations of control that could have existed between the White House and the two houses of Congress during this period. Here's the bottom line of what we found, and I am going to go through the numbers, but I'm going to give away the answer to the game first, which is no political party substantially impacted long-term market returns. When Democrats controlled all three areas, the S&P average annual return was about, anyone have a guess? No idea. No idea? percent. 15.1% under Republicans controlling all three. Anyone want to guess? Well, you said there's no difference. I'm going to go with (laughs) (laughs) 15.1%. Well, 15.9. So there is a small difference, but, you know, over when you stretch it out over the long term, statistically speaking, we're considering that a, a low delta. When you break out the different combinations, like, for example, uh, Republican president, Republican Senate, Democratic Congress, 16.9% average annual return. Republican, Democrat, Republican, 17.9. Democrat, Republican, Democrat, 15.9. Democrat, Republican, Republican, 16.9, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's interesting, Isabel. I guess I'm a little surprised. We're, we're coming up on a midterm election, but I would think whichever party is in the White House would have an impact during presidential election years. Well, we looked at how the S&P performed with different parties in the White House. So say you'd invested $100,000 in 1948. So using the same time frame we spoke about earlier, 1948 to now. Over that period of time, that $100,000 would have grown to $834,000 if you were invested when only a Republican was president. 
And if you were invested when only a Democrat was president, that same period of time gave you about $3.7 million. But if you were invested the entire time, so you were agnostic about it, saying, I'm going to keep all my money in no matter what, either party, you know, I'm just going to be in the whole time. Now that $100,000 would have grown to $31.2 million over that same period of time. And the differences between Republicans and Democrats are just more years in office, right? So you've got more years for that money to compound. But I think clearly markets are going to do what markets are going to do regardless of who's in charge. Is that the basic bottom line message? That's the key takeaway from the study. I hear it from clients all the time where, you know, this political stuff is impacting how I feel about how I'm planning to invest or how I am investing. And can you help me with it? And that's when we have to sit down and look at these studies and say, hey, look, I know how you feel. And that may impact your decisions for all many other in many other parts of your life. But when it does it, you know, let's actually look at the stock market and how have political parties had a real impact over the long term on the stock market. And we can confidently say that no one political party has had an advantage over the other in relation to stock market returns. What surprises me so much about this is is taxes. That when there is a Republican in office, you just think you're going to get a friendlier tax strategy for corporations, for capitalism in general, and that that would carry the markets along. But maybe the whole idea that the market is a forward-looking indicator means you grab some of those gains before the person takes office. It's just it's just too much to parse. Well, I'm sure some of that plays into it, Jean. I mean, even just thinking about taxes, those changes could take years to be enacted. And given the House is up for election every two years, when and how legislation even gets passed is kind of a moving target. And it's also important to separate the, the rhetoric from the reality. You know, the ads, the screaming, that's all rhetoric and it drives ratings. But the reality is it's not easy to pass anything in Congress today because the margins between the two parties are just too small. But it's also likely because it's not common to have one party in full control of the White House and both chambers of Congress. You know, in fact, it's about 11% of the time or eight total years that Republicans controlled all three. And it was 21 total years that Democrats controlled all three, which is about 28% of the time that it was a Democrat controlling all three chambers. So that means all the other times, you know, the other 60% or so, it was a mixed bag. So then the question is, you know, even if something happens in the midterms that you don't like or you don't agree with, how much change is really going to happen that's going to impact your investments? You know, and again, I'm not talking about anything else politically speaking. I'm just talking about your investments. Look at you knocking things off our worry list left and right today, <laughs> Isabel. We have certainly appreciate that. Soledad, do you remember when we were kids, there was a song on the radio. I think the Gibbs wrote it. It was all about, it was, it's just emotion that's taking me over. <laughs> I like to sing. sorrow. Yes. I did a, did a little musical theater and failed, which is why I'm here today. But, but I, I can, I can tell the song you're talking about from singing, which is far better than most people where they, they hum a song or sing a song. You're like, I still, nope, nope. Got, got it. So, so I know is, what you're talking about. This is the earworm that is playing in my head because we've been talking about emotions all show. And right now, as we have this run up to the midterm elections, we've got 
not so pleasant emotions, emotions that are divisive and, and ugly. And you layer on top of all of this high inflation, volatile markets, geopolitics, rising interest rates. Everybody is just looking for a little relief. I'm sorry if my singing did not provide it. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm Jean Chatsky here with Soledad O'Brien and Edelman Financial Engines Wealth Planner Isabel Barrow. We've been talking about the impacts that elections can have on your finances and the surprising fact that there isn't very much of one. Isabel, I'm struggling to see why there isn't more of a correlation, but I think clearly markets are going to do what markets are going to do regardless of who's in charge. I mean, you break down either party and the markets seem to do well no matter which party is holding office. So U.S. Bank uh, analyzed Bloomberg market data for the last 60 years, like you said, just specifically about midterms. So they were looking at these, um, there was 15 midterm elections in that period of time that they looked at, and they looked at market performance during that period of time. And what they found was that in the 12 months leading up to the midterm election, the S&P averaged an annual return of about 0.03%, which is a significant underperformance when you're thinking about the historical average of about, for the S&P of about 8.1%. But when it comes to the post-midterm stock market performance, now, now it's a completely different story, right? They, so we know that leading up, you know, performance was basically flat, but the study found in the 12 months after a midterm election, the S&P 500 significantly outperformed the market with an average return of about 16%, more than double that historic average of, of eight. So if I'm a market timer, which I'm not, but if I was, wouldn't you play those odds? Wouldn't you look Hop at in. history yeah. and think, After the I election. am getting out. You know, we are in the 12 months running up to the election. Get me out of here because I'm going to be flat to down. And if I just put my money in cash, I would actually make some or put it into a bond where I knew that if I held it to maturity, I'd, I'd get the promised result, and then get right back in on election day. I mean, what's the argument there against that sort of a strategy? Well, the authors of the study found that the party that controls Congress and whether or not they change a midterm election has historically not been an indicator of stock market performance going forward. So it's not the outcome, nor is it who wins or who is controlling that has a noticeable impact on the stock market. It's all of the other sort of macroeconomic and geopolitical factors that determine stock market volatility, stock market performance. So if you're trying to get in and get out and time it because you think that that the outcome is going to be one thing or another, well, studies have shown that that doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. It's not a factor. That's number one. And secondly, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the midterms are already about a week away. So that window has probably closed. But really, rather than kicking yourself for not doing that, trying to time the market around the election, it's important to recognize that we're not in a normal environment. You know, we've been discussing that the whole show. Markets haven't been flat, but the opposite. They've been yo-yoing all over the place. And we've been talking about correlations. You know, when was the last time we had a stock market that was down this much at the same time the bond market is down, at the same time that inflation is high, 
but yet jobs continue to be added. Corporate balance sheets aren't bad. You know, both of those are indicators of an economy in a relatively good shape. So really, we're not in that 12-month flat market leading up to midterms like, like, we're, like we're looking at in that study. Instead, we have an environment with volatility where one day you're possibly way down and the next day way up. But what we do know is that getting out, you could potentially be missing out on those big one-day ups and downs. And that is what could make a much bigger impact on your long-term returns than trying to time it to get in or out, you know, ultimately we used history as a guide, but the past performance and past historic data and all these studies show us what happened in the past, not what is going to happen in the future. One of the things that is interesting about this study is that, you know, we always hear, I think there's a common perception that the market likes divided government. And Really, I think that may or may not be true based on the study, because if you look at, you know, just the, the stats, what we're showing is that actually when you have uh, one party that's in control of all three, you know, president, house, and senate, we have above average returns during that period of time. So what that tells me is that all the other times when we have divided government, we're average or below average, right? It all comes back to time in the market, not timing the market, which my uh, favorite saying, <laughs> I love that saying, but just another reason that if you don't have somebody to talk to, you should be talking to somebody, yeah. right? I mean, there's so many unusual things happening right now in the economy, in the world, that if you don't have somebody to talk to about your money, I, I think you're making a mistake. And if you don't have someone to talk to, you're more than welcome to reach out to us. We Call are- Isabel. Directly. I've got her cell number. (laughs) No, it doesn't have to be me. One of my colleagues, I mean, there are hundreds of us around the country and we, we would love to talk to you. I mean, these are the types of things that we're talking to our clients about. These are the conversations that we're having. And it doesn't mean we have all of the answers or that we're going to agree with you when it relates to one thing or another or midterm elections or whatever. I mean, we're just talking about your money. And what are the right decisions that you should make for yourself and your money as it relates to your situation? And that's the bottom line, right? And in many cases, it's just really hard for us to do that with the veil of emotion, whether or not it be political or market or whatever. So that is a moment where you need to kind of self-reflect and say, I think I need someone else's like eyes on this. I think I need someone else to weigh in. And a financial planner, that is what we're there for. We are there to weigh in, not to tell you what's right or wrong, but to aid you in making the right decisions, giving you advice around what we think is in your best interest. So if you don't have a financial advisor that can do that for you, that is doing that for you, you don't know where to begin, reach out to us. We can be found at 833-PLAN-EFE. Or you can find us online at planEFE.com. So that's the phone number, 833-PLAN-EFE. Or you can visit us online at planEFE.com to get started today. That is uh, a look at our show. Thank you, Isabel. Always great to talk to you. If you've got a question or a topic that you'd like us to discuss, we would love to have you join us on air. Just visit everydaywealth.com, submit your question, and then together with an EFE Wealth Planner, we can talk through potential solutions that would be personal to you. 
And if you want to catch a show you might have missed, what? Yes, you can always <laughs> listen to our podcast. You can download it at everydaywealth.com or wherever you stream your favorite podcast. Take a minute while you're there, leave us some feedback and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Have a great week, everybody. You've been listening to Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth with Soledad O'Brien, Gene Chatsky, and Isabel Barrow. Tune in each week for fresh and compelling insights and strategies to help elevate your financial potential. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com, or find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcasts.